0: Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. Welcome to the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast. Today, I want to share about the power of the secret place when i had been invited to speak today it was actually a couple of months ago when that request came in and i had already contemplated sharing you know this teaching but a couple of weeks ago i had the opportunity of joining in on the zoom to hear uh, pastor sheldon jonathan's dad share and he talked about uh, enoch the message that he was sharing really impacted me that uh, hey, this is a confirmation of the message that you uh, you know I should be sharing today because there are a couple of elements, even though I didn't have Enoch in my outline at that point, there are a couple of things from the story of Enoch that really confirmed that this was the you know, a follow up on that same message. That's where I want to go. In uh, Psalm 91 verse 1, David says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and he will cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings thou shalt trust. I began to wonder what David actually considered to be his secret place. In looking through basically the Psalms, I uh, saw a repeated reference to being on his bed and uh, in, his, in the night seasons, that he would meditate, that he would uh, focus on the word of the Lord, and that, that seemed to be the place where that he was having his communion with God. I give you probably a dozen verses, and I think that, that they have already made provision for you to have the outline, but there are probably at least a dozen verses in the Psalms that really focus on the night seasons and upon his bed, how that David meditated and communed with God. All of us need to find a place in our lives, in our daily life, where that we can be private and alone and only uninterrupted fellowship between us and God. I think David found that place you know, when he would retire at night. I'm sure that he also meditated on on the Lord and fellowship with God at other times, but it seemed like he had a special focus of doing it there. All of us need to have that place, where that even though we're in relationship with God all day long, and, uh, you know, people say, you know, to me things like, well, you know, when do you pray? And I said, well, I I don't ever stop praying. You know, I'm always in fellowship with God. I'm always trying to have communion with Him. I'm always trying to hear His Spirit direct me in every decision that I make. But in addition to just having that continual fellowship with God, we need to have a place and a time when that we set it aside just specifically to be in fellowship, to speak to God, and hear him speak back to us, and Enoch that we uh, talked about a couple of weeks ago. Doctor uh, Pastor Sheldon talked about him. He seemed to have a time when that he would commune with God by taking a walk. And I do that every day. Uh, I live up halfway up a mountain, and I go out and I spend a little over an hour, hour and a half, climbing up the mountain and then climbing back down the mountain. Uh, And that is a private time when there are no other people uh, in association with me. There's nobody else that is interrupting. And I can uh, just talk back and forth with God while I'm walking. Enoch did that. And I am not anticipating that I'm going to have a personal rapture and be caught away like Enoch did. If God chooses to do that, that'll be okay. But he had that personal private time with God. Moses uh, had a place that he went that was especially constructed for the purpose of fellowshipping with God. It was called the Tent of Meeting, and he took Joshua, who, who was his, uh, you know, to be his successor, it was the guy he was mentoring, he took him into that place with him, and the scripture says that Joshua would linger after Moses left. So Joshua realized what Moses was doing. He was entering in the presence of God, and then Joshua says, I want to stay here after Moses leaves because I want a personal time, even without Moses being present, to spend with God. When we have that place and we have that time There are certain benefits that are going to come. There are certain blessings that are going to come into our lives. And I'm pretty sure that I'm not teaching anything new. I'm hoping that maybe I'm just uh, giving you a reminder. Uh, I'm sure that everyone has that personal private time with God recognizes the importance of that. And I'm sure you're already practicing it. Hopefully uh, what we'll share today will just be some reminders for you. But one of the things that is a benefit or a reward of spending private time with a God is that even though that what we uh, are doing is secret and in private, it's not associated with anybody else, God promises that he will give us a reward that'll be visible to the open public. Let's uh, just take some time and look in the book of Matthew. Jesus said in Matthew 6, "'Take heed that you do not, do not do your alms before men "'to be seen of them. "'Otherwise you have no reward of your Father, "'which is in heaven. "'Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, "'do not sound a trumpet before thee "'as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets.'" that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doest, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which has seen you in secret, shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, when you pray, use not vain reputation, repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard by their much speaking. These are words directly from Jesus himself. And he said, when you are doing your service to God, you know, giving alms and praying, do it in private, do it in secret. And then God has a way of giving you a reward in the open. Jesus proved that himself. Uh, You remember from John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. When Lazarus died, Jesus took a little bit of time. He hesitated before he went uh, to Bethany. And then when he got there, he found that Lazarus had already been dead four days and was already buried. When uh, he went before the tomb, he prayed. And he said, I thank you, Father, that you have already heard me. Well, he didn't make his prayer in front of the congregation that was gathered in the cemetery. He had made his prayer in private. He says, You have already heard me. We have no idea how much time Jesus had spent in prayer over Lazarus' situation. We have no idea how intense his prayer was. But we do know that Jesus had already prayed. He'd already done that in private. Nobody knew anything about it. Apparently, even his disciples didn't know, uh, because when we read the story in John chapter 11, there is no mention of the disciples being present or, or being aware of a prayer. But Jesus got in front of the tomb and he says, Father, I thank you that you've already heard me. And then He just simply said three words, Lazarus come forth. The next thing you know, a man that had been dead for four days was alive, and he came out of the tomb. He prayed in private, but his reward was in public. All the people that were there saw the resurrection of Lazarus. David also proved that. Let's just think about Psalm 91. In Psalm 91, He said, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. He had been in that secret place in fellowship with God, but yet he goes on through the rest of the chapter and he talks about, hey, there'll be destruction that'll come on your right. There'll be destruction that'll come on your left, but it won't come near you. There'll be a pestilence that'll sweep through the whole city, but it won't attach itself to to your dwelling. And he went on with many different references and saying, I'll have a long life, he said, there are many things that everybody else will be able to see that are happening in my life, although nobody will know the the basis upon which those things were built. The basis of that was that I was in the secret place, and in the secret place, God made those provisions, that were manifest publicly before everybody else. Uh, In Daniel, Daniel chapter 11, it said, uh, the people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. How do we get strong? We get strong by being in that secret private place, but yet when we do exploits, they are going to be out in the public. Enoch's life was like that. Nobody knew what was going on when Enoch was taking his walk with God every day. But when he suddenly disappeared, <laughs> everybody would have recognized that. In the book of uh, Hebrews, and uh, Dr., and Pastor Shelton uh, pointed this out as well, he says in the book of Hebrews, it was a third-party analysis of the story, and the third-party person who was uh, evaluating what happened with Enoch said, by faith. And that faith was something that the people recognized. They recognized that faith had developed in Enoch's life, and they didn't know for sure, and they didn't seem to record it, but it apparently was because of his private time walking with God. By faith, Enoch walked with God, and then he was not because God took him. I think some of you might know a little bit of my history, but I spent many years uh, working with Dr. Lester Sumrall, and uh, one of the things that Dr. Sumrall used to love to say is that faith is your knowledge of God, that if you know a little bit about God, you have a little relationship with God, you'll have little faith. If you have a deep relationship with God and you have a deep knowledge of God, then you will have a deeper level of faith, and so he always defined faith is your knowledge of God, and when you have that faith, that knowledge of God, it manifests itself with exploits being manifest in your life. David also proved to us that things in the secret place get manifest publicly. He killed a lion and a bear, and nobody saw it. And apparently nobody knew anything about it. Apparently he didn't tell the story. He didn't come back and and boast to everybody. Hey, I've been out fighting lions and bears today. Um, If that had been the case, when he showed up at the Valley of Elah, everybody would have said, oh, wow, look at this. The guy who kills lions and bears has showed up. Um, Instead, they ridiculed him and they said, you're just a smart aleck. What are you doing here? And, uh, and uh, uh, King Saul said, hey, I can't send you out to fight the Goliath because uh, you have no record. Uh, he says, this, this guy, this giant has a record as a mighty warrior. You have no record of being able to fight. But uh, David then said, but the thing you don't know, sir, Is it I killed a lion with my bare hands? I killed a bear with my bare hands. And then at that point, then he was permitted to go fight and he won a victory in the sight of all the Israelites and all the Philistines. And so he did something in secret. He kept it in secret. God used that to establish a place with him. And then he was openly manifest. He was openly rewarded for it. Um, there are provisions in the secret place in Psalm 27, five, it says, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his provision in the secret of his tabernacle, shall he hide me and he shall set me upon a rock. When there are troubles in our lives, we go into that secret place and there's security. We go into that secret relationship with God and there is provision And then there's also prosperity in the secret place. In Isaiah uh, 45, 3, it says, I will give thee the treasures of darkness and the hidden treasures of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, shall call thee by name. I am the God of Israel. Uh, There are blessings that manifest themselves financially and, and in other physical provisions that we have only after we spend time in personal, private relationship with God. He says, I'll take you into those treasures that are hidden in the secret place with me. And uh, we just mentioned the fact that David apparently never told anybody about having killed the lion and the bear. And that's because that we have to have an understanding of the, the, the secrecy of what God does for us in the secret place. Uh, in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes 3, it says there's a, there's a time for every purpose under heaven and a season for everything that God does. And then in verse uh, chapter, this is uh, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 7, it says, there's a time to keep silent, and there is a time to speak. In Proverbs, it says, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of a fool proclaims his foolishness. And then again in Proverbs 21, he says, whosoever keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. We need to realize that Many of the things that God speaks and God shows us when we're in that secret place are personal, they're private, they're not things that are for public distribution. Joseph in the Old Testament, I think, is an example of this. This may be a new concept. I haven't heard anybody else teach on this idea. Joseph's life was characterized. By favor. It says that when he was in Potiphar's house, he found favor with Potiphar. When he was in jail, he found favor with the jailer. When he went to to Pharaoh's court, he was favored in Pharaoh's court. Joseph's life was a life of favor and of blessing. The only time when his life was not favored and blessed is when he told his brothers about his dream. If he had not told his brothers about his dream, he would not have gotten into the trouble that he got into. If he hadn't told them about the dream, they wouldn't have become jealous and decide to kill him and then change their mind and sell him into slavery. Joseph was a man that God favored. I believe that if he had kept that thing secret and just As the New Testament tells us, Mary, when the angel spoke to her about, uh, you know, giving birth to Jesus, it said she kept these things and pondered them in her heart. If he had not spoken it out, if they had realized, according to Ecclesiastes, there's a time to remain silent. If he had kept that in his heart and let it totally germinate, let it go through its full gestation period, let it let it fully uh, develop inside his heart, rather than speaking it out publicly, God could have caused him to have gone to Egypt first class rather than in the baggage car. That's my personal feeling, uh, and I I feel like I can back it up uh, from Scripture, but regardless of what happened with Joseph, we can take an example for our own lives and realize that many times there are things that God shows us in private that are for our own maturity, that are for our own strength, that are for ourselves to let it grow inside of us rather than feeling like we have to just go out and and publicly proclaim all of those things. To come back to Lester Sumrall, if any of you know his story, his life was characterized by miracles, dramatic healings, Uh, dramatic deliverances from demonic uh, possessions, incredible things. But I got a hold of the first book he ever wrote. And when I read it, there were no stories of healing, although I know the context in which that that book was written. And I know that in that uh, time frame and in those places that he recorded in that uh, book, That there were healings. There were no stories of casting out demons, although I know that there were demon uh, possessions that he dealt with in the places and in the time frame that the book covers. So I asked him, I said, Dr. Sumrall, this is strange. I just read this book that you wrote, you know, 50 years ago, it would be a lot longer than that now, but at that time, it was about 50 years after he had written the book. And I said, I've just read this book. And uh, you know, the story of this demon possessed girl is not in there. The story of these people that were healed there, those stories are not in there. Why explain that to me. And he said, I knew I could never get the book published, because at that period in history, the uh, Pentecostal movement was was looked down upon, and people didn't accept it. And he says, if I wrote it from that perspective, the publishers would not have accepted and would not have printed the book. But I wrote it from the perspective of the evangelism, evangelism and the growth of the church that was happening in all of these remote areas. And he says, I wrote it so that I could get the book published. He got the book published. He became recognized as an author and he became accepted in the journalism field. And then before long, he was able to slowly, slowly add in those stories until the atmosphere changed and because he was an accepted and recognized author, then he could begin to tell those stories. Sometimes we have to have that same kind of wisdom. We have to understand God is doing something on the inside of us. We don't have to go blab it out because we keep it secret until God has the time when he's ready to reward us publicly for that. Now, there's also a warning warning. And that warning is that we have to keep the sanctity of that secret place. Have you ever noticed that the time that David committed the sin with Bathsheba, that the scripture says that he got up off of his bed. He was in the bed, which I have already suggested, was the secret place where he spent time fellowshipping with God. And he got up and he... He walked away from the bed, and then he looked over the balcony, and that's when he saw Bathsheba, and that's when everything took a downward spiral. Had he, instead of getting up, just rolled over and had more fellowship with God, he would never have gotten into the situation that he got into. That violation brought distress in his life, and I have Probably a half a dozen other verses that we won't take time to read because I think you have them in your outline that talk about the agony that he felt in his bed after he had committed that sin, and he says in verse uh, chapter thirty-two, verse three, while I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my groaning all the day long. He used the word bones to refer to his inner spirit man, he says, in my bones there was groaning as long as I kept silent. As long as he refused to open his mouth and confess his sin, he was tormented on the inside. Finally, when uh, Nathan came to him and said, uh, you know, gave him this parable about the, the man who had the sheep and then uh, David said, well, that is an awful atrocity. We need to deal with that. And then at that point, then uh, Nathan pointed and said, well, you're the man that has done this. And then David finally opened his mouth and confessed. Then he wrote Psalm 51 as his repentance prayer over the situation. And in that repentance prayer, he says, God, heal the bones that are broken. You know, so he he recognized that that agony that was on the inside of him was because he'd kept silent about his sin. When he finally confessed his sin, then he knew that God could heal his bones on the inside. But here's the interesting thing. When Nathan pointed out to, to David that his sin was exposed, David's response to Nathan was, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't say, I sinned against Bathsheba, and he didn't say, I sinned against Uriah. Bathsheba was, as best we can tell, a virtuous woman who would not have gone out and had an affair, except that David forced her into it, and so he violated her, and then Uriah was a very noble warrior, and Uriah Came home, David called him home to try to, you know, cover up the situation so it would look like that he was the one who got his wife pregnant rather than the king. And he was so noble that he said, I cannot go and sleep with my wife when I know that my soldiers are out on the battlefield and they don't have that kind of privilege at this point. And so I am not going to do that. So he was a very noble man. And then David plotted his death. Here are two things that David really should have been repenting for. But he said, I have sinned against God. Then when we get to Psalm 51, David, uh, in his writing of his repentance prayer, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. So he recognized that his sin that what he did against Bathsheba and what he did against Uriah was only an outward manifestation of his real sin. His real sin was breaking his fellowship with God. His real sin was getting up out of that bed, and instead of having the fellowship with God, he violated that, and then he went and and saw Bathsheba, and so. His real sin was done in the secret place. because he violated his secret place, it brought torment into his life. Violation of the uh, secret place brings consequences. It brings consequences not only to our life, but to many other people as well. Genesis chapter 20, it tells a story about how that Abraham lied. Are made a deceptive statement concerning Sarah, his wife, because she really was a half sister. So he says, I'm going to tell people that she's my sister rather than my wife. And so he kept something secret. And then because of that, uh, Abimelech took Sarah and brought her into his harem. And he was, you know, totally innocent because he didn't realize she was a married woman. If he'd realized she was a married woman, I don't think he would have taken her. Uh, Abraham was afraid that he would kill her, kill him, so that he could have Sarah. But at any rate, um, there was something secret in Abraham's life, and it was a violation of his secret place. And it says that God closed the wombs of all the women in Abimelech's kingdom. So A violation in the secret place in Abraham's case caused, we have no idea how many hundreds of women uh, to be barren. And then Achan, we know the story of Achan, how the Achan went into Jericho. God had said, destroy everything. Don't don't take anything. Don't take any of the the gold, the silver, anything you see in in Jericho, but let all of it be destroyed. And uh, Achan took some things and he hid them in a secret place uh, underneath his tent and then when that the army went out to fight their next battle which was the battle of Ai they were soundly defeated and then god went through a process of showing Joshua who it was and then because of one man's secret sin the entire army was defeated what we do in secret, not, uh, if it's a violation of the secret place, it not only hurts us, it can hurt many other people as well. We have to remember that our what we do in secret has eternal consequences. Sometimes they're eternally good, sometimes they're eternally bad. And uh, uh, in uh, First Chronicles chapter 28, and thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For God searcheth all hearts and understands all imaginations of thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. And if thou forsake him, he will cast thee out forever. So, seeking God in that secret place will give us eternal assurance. And otherwise, it will cause us to be cast out forever. And look at Psalm one hundred and thirty-nine. Search me, O God, and know my heart, uh, and try me, and know my thoughts. For I and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. There's an everlasting promise, an everlasting provision, if we seek the Lord and have that private, personal relationship with him. In the secret place, God can give us clarity. David had a desire which was not totally God's perfect will. He had a desire to build a temple. Look at uh, Psalm 132. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house or go up to my bed, his secret place. I will not give sleep to mine eyes, his secret fellowship with God, or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation of the mighty God of Jacob. He said, My secret place, I'm going to focus on trying to have this temple built. However, it wasn't really God's total will for him, it was his will for the for David's son to do it. And then when Nathan pointed that out to him and helped him get clarity then david then instead of building the temple he bought the land that the temple was built on he uh, drew up all the blueprints for that temple to be built and he provided all the resources necessary to build that temple so there is clarity when we get in the secret place and sometimes we have to have maybe an outside provision or somebody to give us counsel too as well but in the secret place we can realize what our real clarity is david's clarity was to buy the property to re, to draw the blueprints and to collect all the resources jesus himself had to go into a secret place to get total clarity on the last night of jesus life he went to the garden of gethsemane and three times he prayed father let this cup pass from me. And for the three hours, he kept asking and saying that to God. And then he finally says, "But not my will, thine be done." He took his own private desire into that secret place. He said, "We're going to go pray." He took all his disciples out to the garden, and then he separated out, uh, you know, his three closest ones, and he brought them a little closer to him. And then he even went beyond there. Into a very private place to do this intercession. And in that private place, he came to the clarity where he said, It's God's will and it's not my will. I just uh, wanted to share that with you, with us this morning. And like I said, I'm sure it's just a refresher course, that it's probably no new revelation to any of us, but just in everything that we have to do, everything that God has called us to do the vision that God has put ahead of us, the only way we will ever fulfill what God wants us to do, the only place, the only way we will ever do those exploits that are mentioned in the book of uh, Daniel is that we take it into the secret place. We get our strength, we get our revelation, we get our encouragement, we get our clarity in the secret place, and then Everything that God does for us in a secret place will eventually be manifest in the public and will eventually be the fulfillment of the purpose and the plan that God has placed on all of our life. Thank you for listening to the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast. We hope you are encouraged and challenged with today's message. For more from Joshua Nations, visit our website, joshuanations.org.